a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Great to have you along on Inside Sources today at KSL News Radio. A little uh, later than usual because of the uh, very special broadcast, the town hall that our Dave and Debbie have been uh, conducting. Interesting information there. Uh, coming up on the program today, we're going to be talking, and I'm very pleased that Representative Ben McAdams of the 4th Congressional District will be joining us. There are several things. Some things are really, really obvious. And that, of course, the impeachment vote that we are anticipating for tomorrow. And it's being described that uh, Democrats are pretty much all lined up. There may be a few votes that go off the uh, off the grid on this one. And we'll, uh, we'll query uh, Representative McAdams about that. And then he put out a statement today that uh, calls for the inquiry to be open to public view. We'll obviously talk about that. Uh, but there are other things, too. Uh, he and Mitt Romney out of the state of Utah, especially, at least that's the headline in the Deseret News, are working to keep Social Security and Medicaid, for, uh, Medicare rather, from drying up. And according to some, those funds could be used up in 13 years if we don't uh, take proper action now, basically, while we still can. So... We'll talk with Representative McAdams about that. We're also going to check in with uh, Richard Williams, better known as Biff Williams. I'm not making that up. Dixie State University president, and uh, he will be joining us. We'll chat about what's happening down in Utah's Dixie and especially at Dixie State University. All kinds of growth. I'm hearing it's the uh, fastest growing a state-owned institution in the state of Utah, higher education, and one of the fastest growing in the country. So what is going on down there? All kinds of new things have been added, so we'll get into uh, that a little later on in the program. And plus, we just got word that the Clydesdales are going to be uh, coming from Anheuser-Busch, and they are celebrating the demise of 3.2 beer. <laughs> so we're, we're trying to track down uh, maybe a local connection on that. I mean, after all, the Clydesdales don't just show up on their own. Somebody had to help facilitate that. And, you know, Robin, I've been around long enough that I can remember when uh, the Clydesdales being in the 24th of July Pioneer Day Parade was a big controversy. Oh, I bet. Big, big, big. So yeah. anyway, we're we're ferreting out all the uh, info on the big stories. Did you see the article, too? We were talking about this, Robin and I, where... You know, when the the 4.0 comes on on board, you know, day after tomorrow, there's a lot of 3.2 that is going to be left over. Yep. Now, theoretically, people will buy that up, but maybe not. And some are actually worrying, what do we do with the excess? And it was uh, Stan Parrish. I've known Stan for years. They were talking about, well, some of it might end up in the uh, in the landfill and Stan said something to the effect of, yeah, I wonder what effect that would have on our seagulls. <laughs> I mean, you know, having the Utah State bird drunk 
would not. It's not good for the state. That's not good PR. It's not good during an election year. You See, know? Stan just focused right in on the most important issue. I think this is what you should have asked, you know, at the mayoral debate last week. You know, what is your take on drunk seagulls? Drunk and, seagulls. And what will you do yeah. to prevent such a such a happening? In the if we have the dilemma of disposing with the leftover 3.2 beer, how are we going to prevent that from getting to our state bird? There we go. I know. This is a very important question we should ask our lawmakers if it's on their docket for this coming uh, legislative right. session. Now, yesterday, our fine producer had me answering things about Justin Bieber. And so heaven only knows I've banned the Kardashians. And you've allowed me to come back. I Now I've decided that. to ban Justin Bieber, too. If we want to talk pop culture, we could talk about one of the greatest losses in rock and roll in recent memory, and that was the death of Ginger Baker. Greatest, I mean, arguably the greatest rock and roll drummer of all time. And uh, he is to drums what Eric Clapton was to the guitar. So, see now you've stumped me. I have to say I don't know who Ginger Baker is. Oh, I know. The, the group I failed. Cream. I know that. I know Cream. On. That's Eric Clapton. That, that and Ginger Baker okay. and others, and then he was in other groups as well. And he turned the uh, the the trap set of the drums from just being the beat to being a full honored part mm. of the band. Not just keeping beat for the guitars and everything. He was. Amazing. And as some people have uh, put it, he was indeed a rock god. Well, I will have to go look him up. My dad's a drummer. Uh, oh, he was wow. in the BYU marching band. He's been he's eighty years old. And you know who Gene Krupa is? Uh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay. I know the old the old names. the old guys. And he still plays in the jazz <laughs> band. You know, he plays at senior yeah. homes as a drummer. And so I grew up with a lot of the older. I was a drummer at Evergreen Junior High School, and I sucketh much. <laughs> You weren't able to continue. Yeah, I use the Shakespearean term, but I, <laughs> that is, I, uh, it's in Hamlet, I, I think. sucketh much. Yeah, I think that's yeah. in the, the middle of Hamlet somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. All right. Okay. Uh, well, I do have a pop culture, but this one's more, we can mutually talk about this one at the end. Uh, we'll start at the top here. I'll work my way down through our headlines. Uh, the okay. first one is a, is a soft pitch. It's a weather. It's just mostly Salt Lake City hits lowest ever October temperature amid frigid weather pattern. How's Eureka doing? Any takes on the cold You know, weather? I have not heard our, our program director, Kevin, asked me because, you know, I, everybody in the state is focused, of course, on my heating system and my new bathroom there that has yet to have the accommodations put mm-hmm. inside other than the radiator. But, you know, I don't know. I, I know the the night before I got my heating system finally up and running, it was 11 degrees. And that's when it had been, you know, upper teens and kind of mid-20s here in Salt Lake. So... We can usually count. What was what was the bona fide low temperature from I last night? I heard ten degrees. Okay, then it was it was probably you know if if the norm holds, Eureka is usually about ten degrees cooler. Oh, is it? so Eureka is colder than it would be yeah. up here in Salt Yeah, we're at, uh, right here where we sit. We're probably forty three, forty mm-hmm. four hundred feet. Uh, the airport's at about forty two hundred mm-hmm. feet. Uh, my home in Eureka sits at sixty six. Oh, okay, so, so you're a little closer to the cold. Well, to, to heaven yeah, is what you're you trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was on the tip of my tongue. Heaven. <laughs> All right. Uh, so going to warm weather, a, a new wildfire has erupted right next to the Reagan Library in Southern California. Have you ever been there? The I Reagan have not. Oh, it is so cool. I went there for the first time last time. Dee and I were down there several years ago, and we, we, we kind of do, do a deal. We're keeping track. We've got the presidential passport. You go, you know, and get it punched when you... You uh, visit one of the presidential libraries, but it, it happened to be the year they were celebrating his 100th birthday. Now, of course, the, the president was the late president mm-hmm. at that time. And so they had all kinds of special events, so we weren't able to go. But last year, a year ago this past July, I was in California, and I went there by myself. Dee was down there for some meetings, 
And so I drove up there, and it is an amazing library. They've got mm-hmm. the old Air Force One in there. They've got a Marine One uh, that uh, President Reagan utilized. It's gorgeous. You might have uh, recalled the uh, the the big debate that happened amongst the uh, Republican <laughs> candidates for the presidency back in 2016. One of them was staged with that Air Force One behind all of the uh, participants. It is an amazing library in such a beautiful setting. Oh, it's hard to think that it's all, you know, that I think the fires are coming in, but they're, they're keeping a, a barrier right. there between. Right. It would be awful. Oh, that, that, like that. It, it would be terrible. And the, the plane is set, so it's, it's flying out. There, there's kind of a ravine or a small canyon right in front. So it, you can actually imagine almost the, the plane being in flight, you know, either taking off or coming in for a landing. And then it goes on. And, boy, it would be um, horrific to stand there in front of that huge glass wall and just see flames, yeah. you know, licking the California's horizon. California's really struggling. Oh. They've had power outages. and it's just- Oh, and people are really whining about those power outages, too. And, you know, I, I get the inconvenience, but I also get the reason, yeah. you know, so we don't have more wildfires. Right. So hopefully you might have your power off in your home, but it'll still be standing. Yeah. No, it's been yeah, it's been yeah. awful. All right, I have one last one. We have a well. well let's, let's take. I'm gonna I'm gonna say two minutes on this one. Okay, I'm getting a nod from Gustavo because this is one I am deeply interested. Gustavo's in, in charge. Now we're really in trouble. <laughs> Holy cow! Yeah, you know, he's 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 got he, his hands. He on engineers the... the movie show on mm-hmm. Fridays, and well, this... we we give him unending grief. He's he's very tolerant and very patient. We uh, we would not survive <laughs> more a, than an hour without him around here. A gentleman and a scholar. He is. All right, so let's. We're going to take. We're going to go a little over on this one because this is something I'm very excited about. Uh, Terminator, the movie. I saw it last night. Well, then here we go. So it's coming out uh, on Friday. Yep. The director had put out a comment, Tim Miller, and said he would have quit the project if Linda Hamilton hadn't joined in. She is Sarah Connor. Was is my icon growing up. She is one of my favorite action heroes ever, and I'm really excited for this. Is a tough. Mother, she is in, in all senses, movie. yeah. Oh man, she she's always been tough, but holy cow, you thought she was tough in any of the preceding movies? Mm-hmm. Whoa, they they really put her to the through the moves. Yeah, in the immortal words of Keanu, whoa, whoa, yeah. yeah. Uh, Terminator Two is one of my favorite all time action movies, and yeah. she is so good in that. I Do you just... know who else is mm. great in this one? Oh no, tell me. Oh. Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, the Governor, he is back in an elderly state and a considerably altered Hmm. state. And it is most interesting. And I won't even tell you what he is currently doing for a living and his uh, circumstances in the movie, because you need to experience that without anybody, uh, uh, you know, giving you a spoiler. Mm -hmm. But it is truly interesting, funny and and quite touching. So you're going to give your review tomorrow. I'm not going to ask you to to give too much of a preview day here. Day after tomorrow. Day after. Oh, because well, tomorrow's Thursday. I'm time traveling here. Yeah, tomorrow's I have, Thursday. I have, to, I have to fly back and vote on the impeachment. <laughs> there tomorrow. we go. Right. Of yeah, course, they've asked right. you specifically. We just got a pigeon in from the White House. <laughs> yeah, to ask about they this. need a seagull there. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, not a drunk seagull. So. Well, not yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, because the, the third one was in my mind a little unfortunate, and then I think yeah. there's been a couple since then. There, but, yeah. But this one is is really cool. Is it? It is okay. very cool. I mean, it is jam packed action and everything else but oh my goodness and uh, there is a new oh gosh what is her name it, it just escaped me natalia I, I, can't, I can't remember her name but she is from the future i'll put it that way and boy talk about a tough mother 
She is amazing. I love that star, and I'll I'll get her name. I'm I'm, I'm googling quickly. You're googling uh, quickly. Natalia. I don't have. I, don't. I, I can't remember if it's Natalia or what. Not McKenzie. And then there's um, oh Natalia Reyes. Is that no, it? no, no, no. That that is the the new kind of John Connor oh. type character, and she's wonderful too. Okay. But uh, oh gosh, I, I Mackenzie just, Davis. Mackenzie, is that it? That's it. Okay, she is amazing in this movie. So okay. all right, really so that's our, that our term. I, I I'm a huge Terminator fan, so I had to just yeah. we, we we didn't do Bieber today. We're doing we did Terminator for our pop culture and Drunken Seagulls and Drunken Seagulls, which is a way big step up from Justin Bieber. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to concur with you on that one. Uh-huh. All right. All right. We're going to wrap up now while they still let us uh, stay on the airways. What do we have next, Dave? Uh, Doug. Dave. Dave. <laughs> you know, I've been called a lot of things that are worse than Dave. You know, as a matter of fact, I have to tell you this. This was years ago. I'm going to turn off my mic. This is years ago when I first went on the air here at KSL on, on a full-time basis, a date that will live on in infamy. And the station <laughs> sent off to the uh, – to the, the people that do the voice work and put it with the, the jingles at that time. And mine came back, you know, and they had all kinds of things like Danny Kramer, Tom Bach, Maury Carlson, Don Wright. I'm not kidding you. So <laughs> oh, man. I'm kind of like the, the Rodney Dangerfield of KSL. Well, I think uh, a few KSL. people in Utah know your name. I, think I get no respect. I think, there's, I think name recognition, you, you've earned that by now. So Doug... Tell us what's coming up next. What's his name? What's Tell called? us what's coming up next. Oh, man. Okay, as I mentioned, we are going to be talking with Ben McAdams. I'm looking forward to that conversation. We're going to do a little uh, reset on impeachment, kind of what's coming up uh, today, what we're anticipating, what is happening. Democrats really seem to be circling the wagons, as it were. So we'll walk through all that, then we'll talk with Ben McAdams. And as I mentioned, too, I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to be talking with the uh, president of Dixie State University. And Scott Howell, is, uh, as I recall, he's on the uh, the board or the whatever it is down there at um, uh, Dixie State University. So, And he's an alum also. So we'll get their take on what's happening at this. Uh, I think this is our newest university in the state, isn't it? And so we'll be talking about that. Plus, you wonder what that teal, T-E-A-L, the color, the teal pumpkin is doing, either in a child's hand or on the porch of someone purveying fine candy for Halloween. We're going to walk through what the teal pumpkin actually means. That's all coming up on Inside Sources with me, Dave Wright, here at KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. We're in interesting times right now. We've got uh, yet another uh, impeachment process that is underway. In my lifetime, there have been three that have gone to some considerable lengths. Prior to that, there had only been one in the history of the, uh, the country that had any real steam at all, and that was on Andrew Johnson back uh, right after the Civil War, when the radical Republicans were a little concerned about the uh, the president for various reasons. And it did indeed not only go through the House vote to move forward with the articles of impeachment, and that's that's a whole different thing than the impeachment inquiry 
the inquiry just means, yeah, let's let's look at this and see if there's really enough here to charge the president with articles of impeachment. And that's where they lay it out. And then they go and they make the case to the Senate, which did happen back in the uh, in the Andrew Johnson era. And he avoided full tilt, uh, you know, <laughs> impeachment, being kicked out of, of office. In other words, being convicted of impeachment. He missed it by one vote. For anybody who studied history, that was uh, quite an interesting thing that unfolded there. And then we went, uh, you know, there's always been some rumblings of dissatisfaction and whatever. Uh, you know, Even with very popular presidents, there have been... There were those that felt that uh, President Roosevelt in the 1930s was really overstepping his bounds. Uh, Some people even – it never had any traction at all. But you would hear some people, especially it was over the Supreme Court loading, wanted to go to even more justices that the president would then uh, go ahead and appoint. And then with the advice of the Senate, hopefully they would take their seats and then many uh, aspects of the New Deal – which were fairly controversial at the time, and some people, and and one, like the NRA, not the National Rifle Association, but the National Recovery Act, that was deemed to be unconstitutional. You'll still see pictures. I've got a picture of my grandfather standing on the steps with the employees of a particular company, and there is a National Recovery Administration uh, or Act, some people say that, of banner that is in front of them. So it had taken effect. It was in, it was functioning, and then it went to the Supreme Court and was deemed not to be constitutional. So President Roosevelt's plan was to load the court, basically, I'm not sure you're quoting this, and basically get everything that he wanted to do during the uh, the uh, New Deal, get it uh, through. So, you know, that we've, we've heard rumblings. Even Democrats were very unhappy with Harry Truman at a certain point, but again, nothing ever seriously took root until, and this is all in my lifetime, we had what certainly would have been an impeachment, what almost, well, certainly would have been a, uh, a conviction had Richard Nixon not resigned. So we had Richard Nixon, then we had Bill Clinton, and it wasn't because of anything specifically that he did or didn't do with uh, Monica Lewinsky. It was all about whether he lied about it under oath, in other words, committed perjury, and afterwards, in trying to hush it all up, and did he obstruct justice? That's why that impeachment did go forward. The president was impeached, but the president was not convicted. And now we have another situation with President Donald J. Trump, where at this point, the House of Representatives moved forward with the impeachment inquiry. We heard that several weeks ago where the Speaker of the House announced that they were going to move forward. There was some grousing, obviously, about the process itself, not to mention the ultimate goal of where many people felt some Democrats wanted to go on this. That's one of the reasons for the actual vote tomorrow, to cement up and seal up any doubt at all that this is a legitimate inquiry Uh, for which and to which people need to respond, including the White House. And one uh, constitutional scholar said yesterday, one of the reasons that Nancy Pelosi is doing this 
is so the president has absolutely no um, deniability. Uh, right now, they could go, well, we weren't really sure. Was this the real deal or not? Was it really an official inquiry or were, were Democrats just kind of jumping the gun? The vote tomorrow, if indeed it is successful, and boy, unless a lot of Democrats defect, it will be a fact tomorrow. The the legitimacy of this inquiry, it's it's pretty hard to make the case that this is now not legitimate and you really don't have to pay any attention to it or respond to it. So that's one of the goals uh, for tomorrow. So it's very, very interesting to see what will transpire and what will happen. And so now everybody's speculating about who will be on which side. And that's one of the reasons here in a moment we wanted to talk with uh, Congressman Ben McAdams. After all, he is our lone Democratic voice back in the uh, federal delegation. And Ben McAdams uh, released this a little early, calls for impeachment inquiry to be open to the public view. Now, McAdams has indicated before and indicated to us a couple of weeks ago that, uh, yes, he would support moving forward with the inquiry. But, boy, that's a long way from actually voting for articles of impeachment. And like many in our delegation are saying, they they want to hear the whole deal. They want to get all the facts. And uh, especially John Curtis has made that very, very clear. But he wants Utahns to have the opportunity to judge the facts for themselves rather than taking the Republican or the Democratic Party spin. And that's a quote from the McAdams statement of earlier today. So we will uh, chat about that with our 4th District Congressman himself. We've looked over the, the resolution. I don't know if anything is going to be changed in the actual resolution tomorrow when it's voted on. But right now, Democrats seem to be very, very confident that uh, this is just going to fly through. Several articles that I've read this morning, primarily the one from Politico, has said that, and I'll, I'll quote here from the article, the kumbaya moment for Democrats follows two days of internal consternation and squabbles over both the substance of the resolution, or revolution, I almost said, resolution and timing of the vote. The article implies that uh, the Democrats pretty much have their ducks in line. However, top Democrats are expecting a few defections on the resolution, and will our 4th District Congressman be one of them? chance to talk with Ben McAdams. That is coming up next here on Inside Sources at KSL News Radio. And we have more in store. I'm I'm very interested. When I was a kid, you know, there were no I I didn't know a single person that had a peanut allergy. I knew one kid that had kind of a milk lactose intolerant allergy, but boy, this is a big deal this Halloween and we'll talk about it later in the show. Inside sources. Inside sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. It is so good to have you along on Inside Sources today, and I'm very pleased that Congressman Ben McAdams, he happens to be my congressman in the state of Utah, could join us on the program today. And Ben, welcome. Thank you for making time. And if you don't mind, I'd there there are other things I want to talk about too, including you and uh, Mitt Romney and others 
working to keep Social Security and Medicare from drying up, which could be in 13 years from now unless we do something. Yeah. But if you don't mind, let's uh, let's talk about the, uh, in this case, maybe it's the donkey in the room rather than the elephant in the room. And that's the impeachment vote that is likely not the articles of impeachment, but the impeachment inquiry to be formalized and move forward. And I'm just going to ask the straight up question. There are some top Democrats that are expecting a few defections on the resolution from their own ranks. Are you going to be one of them? Well, thank you, Doug, and it's always great to, to talk with you. I am, I am planning to vote for this resolution, and let me tell you why. This is, this is, as you said, this is not a vote on whether or not to impeach the president. This is a vote that says, look, there are serious allegations. This is a serious time for our country. Uh, allegations have been raised uh, that the president has abused his power and may have harmed his na- our, our national security for his own personal gain and to help his reelection. That's a serious allegation. And I think, really, I, I don't know whether that happened or not. I'm not saying it did. But I believe that the attention of Congress to this matter is warranted. And so I, I think it's regrettable that we're at this place. I was talking to somebody earlier today, and I said that no matter which direction this goes, our country loses. But um, it's a serious matter that I think deserves the attention of the public. It deserves the attention of Congress. And so this resolution that we're going to be voting on tomorrow simply will formalize uh, that inquiry process. Right now what you have are, uh, is a lot of testimony uh, behind closed doors, uh, and, and they say there are reasons for that. I'm not on the Intelligence Committee, but there are reasons that implicate national security, why those, those meetings are happening. Um, but this would bring it out into the public uh, for the public to see, for other members of Congress like myself to know exactly what the allegations are, what the testimony is, why uh, why all this concern, and let, let us judge for ourselves. I don't I don't want myself, and I don't think um, the public should have to make have to rely on uh, the representations and the spin of Democrats or Republicans. Let's see what the facts are, and then let's make a decision for ourselves. And so that's what this does: is it moves it from behind closed door meetings that gives the authorization to take whatever's been discussed behind closed doors, uh, to bring it into the public and let people see for themselves. And I think that's an important step. And then I'm not going to prejudge at this point whether I support or not articles of impeachment. We just simply don't know enough at this point, uh, firsthand information. So I want to see what that is. And then I'm going to make a decision down the road on on articles of impeachment. But right now, this is just uh, bringing that process into the public view. And I think it's important for the public to see it. In speaking to your Republican colleagues from the Utah delegation back in the uh, House, and we've had the chance yesterday, I talked with Congressman Bishop and also with Uh, Congressman Stewart earlier in the day, they talked with Congressman Curtis, and uh, many of them also have said that they want to keep their minds open. They really do want to hear all the evidence, have expressed some of the very concerns that you have, that we're just basically getting party spin right now rather than getting the real deal. Uh, Congressman Curtis, for example, yesterday indicated that uh, right now, and, you know, he's he indicated he was keeping his mind open, but he has yet to see something that he really feels is an impeachable offense. And that's fundamentally the same thing that we are hearing from others in the uh, in our federal delegation. Have you seen anything yet? In, and again, I know you're not getting a lot of this firsthand. That's a, that's a complaint of everybody. Probably, interestingly enough, Congressman Stewart is probably the co- closest to the source with the House Intelligence Committee right now. But are you seeing anything that raises your eyebrow enough to say, well, maybe we need to look into this? 
I mean, a lot of, as you said, I'm not seeing it firsthand, and I want to reserve judgment until I do see it firsthand, but a lot of the stuff that we are seeing that's coming out, the president's own inspector general calls these uh, these allegations credible and serious. You know, Doug, uh, I think a lot of people don't understand the, the stark divide that we have to put between uh, what I do as member of Congress and what I do as a candidate. So I, I never make campaign phone calls from my congressional office because I don't want to blur the line of what is official government business and what is campaign. So we keep a stark uh, differentiation. If the president was using his position as a as president of the United States, uh, using uh, funds of national security funds to protect the United States and our allies and doing that to further him his own uh, advantage in an election, those, that's a really serious allegation and uh, unprecedented and something we need to be, uh, we need to know if that happened. What are the, what are the circumstances? Did it really, is, is that what happened or is it just party spin? I don't know at this point, but we should not be, um, you know, we need to get to the bottom of this. The public deserves to see exactly what happened and then we can make a decision. But I don't think we should be at this point prejudging the outcome, either yes or no. We need to let the facts get on the table, see the facts, and then make a decision. It is interesting because, undoubtedly, arms have been twisted in the past. Uh, United States support has been held until certain things, usually human rights, uh, usually giving up a particular tactic in, in weaponry, whatever it might be. So has influence been used before to withhold things? Absolutely. But the question here is whether or not it was withheld when it had the approval of Congress in order to basically get the skinny on who could be a potential uh, thorn in your side in an upcoming election. I mean, that should get the attention of everybody. And if that happened, we're talking some pretty serious stuff. But has the arm twisting occurred? And have we withheld things from different governments over the years in order to get our way and hopefully get a little bit more of a of a more level playing field? That has happened. But boy, for political gain, individual political gain in an upcoming election, that really is, uh, well, that, that's just not kosher. That's right, Doug. I mean, that's really serious. We, you know, I, I think when you look at the influence of money in politics and how troubling that is, um, and and how corrupt, what a corrupting influence money in politics is. But if you imagine now, we open the door to a presidential candidate uh, reaching out to foreign countries to set our foreign policy based on whether they will. Uh, uh, help in in a presidential election that really sets a terrible precedent for our country. Compromises our national security. I want to know that my president, Republican or Democrat, is one hundred percent loyal to the American people and loyal to this country, and isn't out there uh, uh, buckling to pressure from any power, any foreign power who may not, who doesn't have our interests at heart, in order to curry favor in an election. We see that happening uh, far too often with the influence of super PACs and and corporations in politics, and, and that is lamentable. We do not want to go further down this road and open up the doors to foreign powers. So, again, I'm, I'm not reserving judgment. I think we need to see the facts. But if, in fact, that's what was happening, that's a, that's a dangerous precedent for our country. Do you know what makes this so hard for me, Ben? And you and I have known each other a long time. I can speak candidly here. This president disappoints me daily. This president often embarrasses me as a United States citizen. This president often offends me and offends me deeply. 
And I keep trying to remind myself that there's a difference between being disappointed in a president, being offended by a president, and even sometimes being outraged at at some of the the tactics of a particular person. There's a difference between being an offended and having an impeachable, impeachable offense. And there are some that so wildly and, I believe, blindly support this president. I've never quite seen anything like that either. And I think for them, I think it's very, very difficult for them to who are just, I mean, damn the torpedoes. They're supporting this person no matter what. And the president is right. He could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and I would still support him. This is such a unique case that we're dealing with here. Well, and I'm going to point the finger first at the Democratic Party. I'm a Democrat, but I think, uh, you know, Democrats have been calling for impeachment for, for too long. Over, like you said, Doug, uh, they're offended by the president, we should impeach him. They don't like this policy, we should impeach him. That is wrong. Uh, if you don't like a president's policies, if you don't like his demeanor, uh, the, the solution to that is to vote against him. And so I think it's, it feels a little bit that the Democrats have been crying wolf for too long, and that's really disappointing, that now I think that the allegations that have been made are really serious, and they shouldn't be just ignored. Uh, they shouldn't, we shouldn't jump to conclusions, but we shouldn't ignore them either. Uh, but I think uh, people are a little bit numb to it, and, and we, can't, we can't be numb. I, I've opposed impeachment all along until these allegations uh, of, uh, of abuse of power, uh, risking our national security, these are serious allegations, and so I think we do need to get the, the facts on the table. But one thing that's important as well, whether it's in a, a court proceeding or an impeachment proceeding, the president uh, is entitled to due process. We need to make sure that we are not jumping to conclusions. The president should have the ability to uh, present uh, counter evidence, to present uh, to uh, questions that should be raised, to make sure that um, uh, there's fairness and due process for the president, and that this isn't uh, this isn't this process is fair. At the end of the day, the American people, the public, needs to know that we, as a Congress, are acting without partisanship, Democrat or Republican, but we're doing what's right for the country. Ben, could you give us a little sketch of what you're anticipating for tomorrow? What what is likely to happen, and what time are things likely to happen? Well, I think this vote um, is scheduled for sometime in the morning. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, I, I think there's a lot of hype around what this vote is. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really see it that way. We are simply formalizing the inquiry process. I think it's actually a, a positive step. Uh, a lot of things have been done behind closed doors, and, and, and apparently that's because of national security or other things that uh, they felt that they need to do it in the Intelligence Committee. But it is time for members of Congress who aren't. Congressman Stewart and Congressman Curtis are on those committees, but I'm not. It's time for all members of Congress to be able to have the information and the testimony before we make a decision. And so this this vote tomorrow will open it up and, and make it transparent. It'll set boundaries, and, and there need to be boundaries on, uh, on and limits set on the Democrats and, and limits set on this process. The public needs to know what's happening and why. And then we need to do this in open daylight so people can see exactly what, what's happening. And then we need to earn the trust whichever way we go. And, and I'm not going to prejudge how I would vote on this. But whether it's yes or no, people need to know that we made a decision because we believe it's the right thing for the country, not because it's right for the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. And so um, that's, that's what will happen tomorrow. I think it'll be pretty anticlimactic. A lot of people are, there's a lot of 
build up for this, but I think uh, it'll vote through. It'll get voted through, and hopefully, what we see then is a more transparent and open process, so that people aren't left wondering what's happening behind closed doors, or all we get to hear are the leaks that come out of these meetings. I think the public and all of Congress deserves to know exactly what's happening, that we do it in a transparent way. And we don't have to rely on Democrat or Republican spin, but we can hear it, uh, see the facts themselves and, and make up our own minds. Ben, in normal, more rational times, this would have been my first question to you rather than my last. But uh, just the title of this act is, is intriguing. The Time to Rescue United States Trusts Act is calling for the Treasury Department to submit a report. Can you just give us a little thumbnail sketch of what you and Senator Romney and others are working on? Yeah, it is such a, a pleasure to be working uh, with Senator Romney on this. There's, in spite of all this uh, impeachment talk, I think it's important that people understand, you know, I'm not on any of the impeachment committees, so uh, the amount of time I spend each week on impeachment is pretty negligible. But what I am working on are the, uh, the things that I think people elected us to do is to work across the aisle to solve some of our tough issues. And some of those issues are, are, include Social Security. Uh, people have paid into that system for a lifetime. They rely on it in their aging years. And, and I, I meet people who are afraid uh, that, they, that that source of income that they rely on or source of health care through Medicare will not be there for them. And they're afraid. And so and they have reason to be afraid. We, we look at the Social Security Trust Fund and uh, know that it will be bankrupt in about 13 years if we don't take action as a Congress to fix that. And the longer we wait, the harder it's going to be to fix it, the more draconian uh, and dramatic the solution is going to need to be. So what this is doing is looking at the various trust funds we have, Social Security, Medicare, Highway Trust Fund as well, these ones that are at risk of being insolvent uh, in the, within 15 years. And we're going to come together. We're forming a commission that will uh, look at these and then propose solutions and uh, and uh, on what we're going to do, what actions need to be taken to shore this up. But it is time that Republicans and Democrats, and it's starting with Senator Romney and myself, we come together and focus on uh, on keeping the promises we've made uh, to people who have paid into Social Security for a lifetime and, and make sure that we can deliver on the promises we've made. And so that's going to require us to, to take some tough actions uh, here in, in the immediate future, if we want that to be that there tomorrow and for future generations. So um, that's what this Trust Act is, is doing, and it, it's bipartisan, and it's in both the House and the Senate. And it really is saying it's time to get serious about this, and we're going to identify the solutions that we need to implement uh, immediately to make sure that uh, Social Security is there uh, for the people who, who are relying on it. Representative McAdams, as always, thank you for joining us here at KSL, and we'll look forward to see what uh, actually does unfold tomorrow. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Doug. Representative Ben McAdams, 4th Congressional District here in the state of Utah, and of our six representatives in Washington in the federal delegation, he is our only Democrat. So a very interesting take today. Let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll come back. And what in the world is the teal pumpkin? We're going to find out next. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. All of us are excited for Halloween. I put up, and I usually don't do this, but I actually put up Halloween lights this year. Nothing elaborate, just a couple of strings of the uh, orange lights around our porch. And, you know, you have to kind of get into the groove. And we're all buying our candy. Last night when I, I got home, Dee came in and said, okay, this is what I've got. And we kind of went through and I did everything short of sample them all. But, uh, there is something that we need to be aware of 
this year especially, and more and more kids have allergy issues. And at Halloween, when we're all just passing out candy like crazy and we many parents aren't quite there for each and every acquisition, we need to be very careful. And Lisa Gable joins us right now, the CEO of FAIR. That is the Food Allergy Research and Education Organization. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. When I was a kid, this wasn't even on the radar. I knew a couple of kids that had a few little issues. It was usually lactose intolerant, but even them I could count on on one hand. What what is going on? Uh, We really do seem to have many more kids, many more people that have problems in this arena. We do. There's 32 million Americans who have life-threatening food allergies. Those are individuals that through accidental ingestion of the food, they go into anaphylaxis. Uh, we have one of every 13 children, two children in every classroom. Uh, the number's been rising rapidly since 1998, and it's really becoming a public health crisis. You know, I was talking with a friend of mine. I, I have a great relationship with a local company, the Western Nut Company. And boy, I'll tell you, a couple of years ago, they were talking to me about this. They say, you know, our industry is putting a lot of research into this. We're trying to figure out what in the heck is is going on. Do we have any idea at all what is happening? There are three different ideas on the table right now. One is the hygiene theory, which is around 98, we became a very clean society. You had more hand uh, lotions and, and uh, Purell and other things that people were using. Uh, cleaning products became extremely clean. Uh, so that is one theory. Uh, you had individuals living uh, within cities, less living in urban areas, or um, also are uh, less living in suburban areas and on farms. Secondarily is we told adults and mothers not to feed allergens to children until they were a certain age. And we also told pregnant women not to eat the allergens. And that was the wrong information to give them. Uh, FAIR funded something called the LEAF study, which basically showed that it's important to introduce the allergens at the point that the child begins to eat solids. And through that process, they would become less uh, desensitized to risk from that allergen. The third thing is a gut microbiome. You hear a lot about the gut microbiome. Uh, one of the fastest rises we've seen during the last 10 years of food allergies are adults. And these are people who've been eating the food their entire life and all of a sudden they go into anaphylaxis. And so there's a lot of research, not only with food allergies, but celiac, Crohn's and colitis. There are a lot of scientists trying to figure out what's going on with the way that we process our food. Well, that is really interesting because my whole life, I've loved raw fruits. It's one of my few virtues when it comes to eating. I've always loved raw cherries and so on. I eat a raw cherry right now, and my mouth swells like crazy. That didn't used to happen to me. And, and you, you can't help but ask yourself why. Very interesting. And, but I wanted to get to the, um, to the teal pumpkin. So what's the goal here? There are, of course, bigger issues to deal with in the long run, but in the short term to make sure that we don't have something really bad happen to one of our great little trick-or-treaters. What does the teal pumpkin mean? What is it all about? Sure. Teal pumpkin, uh, you put a teal pumpkin on your doorstep, and what it signals is that your family has non-food treats in addition to candy available to kids with life-threatening food allergies. It's a really wonderful way that kids can fully explore and participate and be included and safe at Halloween. And as we see these numbers rise, what we recognize is that Halloween is probably one of the happiest holidays for children. There's great anticipation about what your outfit is, but if you're not able to eat the food that's handed out, 
you feel differentiated. And so what the teal pumpkin does is it gives away treats that are spider rings and glow sticks and stickers and little pads of paper, whatever uh, you can give to a child to make them happy that just doesn't have to be edible. <laughs> now, what about in the mouth, though? Like when I, when I was a kid, we loved, you know, the wax fangs and lips and things like that. Are there problems with those as well? You know, I haven't identified, and we don't hear a lot of problems. You do hear about problems with uh, with gloves and certain people that, uh, you know, the medical gloves that might cause right. an allergic reaction. Uh, but, you know, I would say things like spider rings and, and so many things that you can get at a dollar store. I know that we are the day before Halloween, and I just ask your listeners – don't be intimidated. Don't feel like you're not organized. Just run out and get something. Go go to a party store and find those those things that you blow that that stick out and make lots of noise. Kids are happy with whatever it is that you give them, right. and and they just want to be part of the process. Part of the process is dressing up, ringing that doorbell, yelling trick or treat, and somebody hands you something. No one really cares what you get handed as long <laughs> as it's fun. Yeah, that that is really true. That that is it's just part of the experience. Overall, and did I hear you correctly when you said was it one out of thirteen kids does have an issue of one some out, kind? Yes, one out of thirteen children have a life-threatening food allergy. That's two in every classroom, and those are kids who carry epinephrine auto injectors. And again, if they have accidental ingestion, they have to immediately take epinephrine wow. and dial nine one one and go to the hospital. So, as you can imagine, Halloween can be very frightening. It can cause a lot of stress and anxiety. So we just thank your listeners, and we thank you for elevating the fact that tomorrow night there are lots of fun things they can do to include all children in their neighborhood. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining us. And am I understanding correctly this goes both ways? There can be a, a teal pumpkin on the doorstep so you know this, this house is prepared, and then the child can also carry a teal pumpkin, and hopefully people will be aware of what that means. Absolutely. And don't forget, moms are on the spot. Moms are making sure that their child you know, identifies and, and lets them know that they, they need something different in their teal pumpkin. And we just thank everyone who takes that consideration into place. And we know that kids are just so happy and pleased by the experience that, uh, that all of your listeners will be providing to them. Boy, Lisa, I've learned a lot just in the last uh, seven or eight minutes. Thank you for being part of the program today. Thank you so much for having me, and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween to you, too. A very teal Halloween for some people. Lisa Gable with us, the CEO of FAIR, the Food Allergy Research and Education Organization. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to take you down south. We're going to be talking about Dixie State University with its president, Richard Williams. That's coming up next on Inside Sources. Inside sources. Inside sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Really want to thank uh, Ben McAdams joining us a little earlier. It was uh, very interesting to get our take. You know, I mentioned this uh, for years that, uh, you know, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, uh, honestly, from a media point of view, and I think honestly, from a uh, Utah point of view, if we don't have somebody that uh, can walk into one or the other of the cloakrooms at one time, it, it kind of puts our, our state at a bit of a, a disadvantage. I'm not lobbying for either party, but at least for the work that I've done for so many years, it always helps when we have somebody in the Democratic Party we can call in Washington, D.C., 
and find out what's happening in the uh, Democratic cloakroom. And Ben played that role for us today, and I really appreciated that. And then Lisa Gable, who joined us, too, regarding the Teal Pumpkin campaign. I really appreciate her joining us, and I've said this for years. If I ever get off the air after having done a show here at KSL and I haven't learned something or had even a thought that has, uh, or a stand of mine that has been somewhat challenged, I've I've failed myself and I've failed you. And boy, Lisa Gable really gave us some good information on just how things have changed, boy, since I was a kid, you know, back in the dark ages. So, and I'm really excited to talk about Dixie State University and with its president. And is this kind of a Mitt Romney thing, president, where his real name is Willard, but we call him Mitt, and your real name is Richard, but we call you Biff? Right. See? (laughs) See how quickly I can work these things out? Back to the future. I mean, if we can have a scooter in the Bush administration, we can, you know, what can can I say? Well, President, thank you so much for joining us. President uh, Richard Williams is here with us. And also we have Scott Howell, uh, who is the chair of the National Advisory Council for Dixie State. And we also have Jordan Sharp, vice president of marketing and communications. Welcome to all three of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank Great you to be here, Doug. Stacy's already, uh, you know, here with us, but she's just back making sure we don't mess up. So <laughs> it takes we'll, a woman to job. keep us straight. It does. Thank we'll, you. We'll be on our best behavior today. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Dixie State. I was reading a little bit of the information that was forwarded to me, and this is not the Dixie State that I knew. When I was a kid, it's amazing how this university is growing. Is it true it's the fastest growing state institution, state institution of higher learning it in is. Utah? Percentage-wise, we are outpacing every other school. And then if you look nationally, we're in the top 25, which means we're in the top 3% in the nation for growth. Wow. The, the obvious question is, what's going on down there? <laughs> Well, I guess the question is, what's not going on down there? There's so much that's happening right now. We have uh, just finishing up the fifth year of our strategic plan, and we've really focused on adding new degree programs. And that's really the reason why a lot of the students are coming. They they came before. They love Dixie State. They love the small class sizes. They love the community. They love the sunshine. Uh, but when they got done with two years, they had to find another place to go. Now right. we have uh, robust academic offerings all throughout um, our campus, and so now they're staying. Was I reading that correctly? I, I, I seem to recall it's a ratio of 20 to 1 or 21 to 1. 20 to 1, yes. That is amazing. It, it really is. is for class sizes. You know, many of us who have taken some college courses, even problem children like myself, <laughs> uh, you know, we've been in classrooms that, that have, I mean, 50 is small. In right. some of the, the categories, and it can be as high as hundreds. So this this is really a, a unique uh, anomaly. It is, and we're excited about that. We're trying to keep our class sizes um, small. We have a mantra of active learning, active life, and we really want the students to be in the class to have an active learning environment, not just sit there and, and hear a lecture, but actually have some activities, being able to go outside the classroom and have experiences that are really going to build on what they're learning in the class. Let's talk for a moment with Scott Howell, who's the chair of the National Advisory Council for Dixie State. You're an alum, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. 
and I, I was teasing, you know, <laughs> about that mercilessly a little earlier. I shan't do that on the air. No, but, no, no. But, <laughs> Everything's free game, Joe. You know, that. right. transparency is our there, middle name. There are still pictures of Scott, you know, on certain walls with that red circle and a cross, you know, yeah. through it. Yeah, exactly. But, We've hit him on a cross. Yeah. <laughs> painted over They've the covered him up. Yeah, yeah, painted over okay. all of those. Scott, what what are you hearing on the national level? What kind of vibe? Because I understand international students. Uh, it, it quite often my my image was this is a place where you know local kids would go and they'd enjoy two years and then they'd move on move to on. something else. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know and that was really the case for me, Doug. Um, I got down there through a football scholarship. I played football at Skyline, and I really wanted to go to the University of Wyoming and. My coach came and sat down with me. He says, it's so cold up there, Scott. You have no idea how cold it is. <laughs> he was right about he was that. right. <laughs> what was I thinking? Yeah. And so um, I went down there on a football scholarship, and it was the most impressionable time of my life where it helped me make some really great decisions as I moved forward. And the friends that I made, there were uh, people from all over the country that attended that university. Uh, my roommate was an African-American guy, and uh, it was such a in, enriching experience for me. Boy, and in 1915, that was rare. <laughs> Very rare. <laughs> okay, I just had to throw that in. When, when were you at, at, at uh, 1973. Yeah, uh, and then I went on an LDS mission after that. It, that was actually a, a great thing for me to be able to go down there and get away from my family and go think and be able to sort out what I wanted to do or what I thought was right, of course. And uh, it, it was a terrific experience, and we loved everything about it. You know, it's interesting on that party, and Jordan's going to talk more about this. They just did a big survey. Uh, a lot of people said it was the party school. And I can remember when when I went down there, everybody said, oh, you get to go to Vegas, you get to go to Vegas. Well, my Vegas experience wasn't really that great yeah. uh, when I did go down there. Uh, but that was the only really parting that I ever remember. And uh, I think that's kind of carried over the years uh, because academically, I had fabulous professors. I can remember them today. And just the whole experience, as you know, Doug, being away from home the first time, sure. being on your own, and it was terrific. So I owe a lot to, to Dixie, and it's a privilege for me to be up there. And what a great president we have. And you'll hear from the rest of the team. This guy is the real deal. Yeah. He's jo- the real deal. Jordan, let's talk uh, from a marketing and communications point of view. And I'm I'm always intrigued when you read something like fastest growing public sure. institution in the state, 40% growth in international students, the diversity now on campus. What, from your point of view, who works in the marketing right. and the communications, what is going on? You know, the word is getting out. And, and it's it's a good story. Uh, when you see the opportunities that Dixie State has for the cost, uh, the affordability, the destination, you could look far and wide. It's kind of hard to find all of those, you know, check all of those boxes. And and people are coming and they're 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 starting to tell our story. We haven't done a lot of marketing up to this point. Is is the interesting point, mm-hmm. uh, and and yet they're they're coming. Uh, we love the story that's being told. We're an open enrollment institution, and our trailblazer story is one that goes back to the early pioneers. I mean, when they were first sent down there, it was this rough and tumble. I mean, like they drew the short stick, got sent to St. George, <laughs> and it was just— My family got sent to Grafton. That'll there, show you how you low go. on the food even, chain we were. Even yeah. further, yeah. and you know, lava, stone to the east and— Desert and there was nothing, and yet they built this institution because they knew the community would need it. They knew the students would need it, and and that's these students that are coming today. Same thing. Most of our students are first generation. They've never done this. 
Interesting. And, and they're coming and they're they're being welcomed. The community welcomes them. The school welcomes them. And they're changing their personal journey and story. And, and the word's just getting out. But we want it to get out more. Uh, we did do this survey. And at least along the Wasatch Front, they they think of Dixie State as this party school. Yeah. You know, yeah. and everyone has a different definition of party. Uh, and there's reasons for that. Back in the day, students would come down and families would come down and the the spring breaks in St. George would fill the streets, and they've kind of connected that to Dixie State. But what this survey, we just did a, a, a statewide survey called the Achinacha Survey, and it measures health and wellness of students. And the interesting, it asks about drug usage and alcohol usage. And, and apart from uh, Brigham Young University, Dixie State had the least <laughs> yeah. amount of drinking and drug usage. So really that party school image that maybe is in people's mind – it's not accurate, but if you want to party as far as – You go being, to Arizona State. You go to Arizona State. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to party yeah. as far as outdoors and you want to come and be – you know, enjoy your yeah. your experience, that kind of party we are pretty good at. And so we'll we'll keep the, that claim to fame. We're, we're going to take just a brief break. We'll come back and we'll continue talking with President Biff Williams and Jordan Sharp, Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Scott Howell, Chair – of the National Advisory Council for Dixie State. I'm interested in some of the things that are offered, the master's degrees, what you're adding, what uh, the future is for Dixie State. That's all coming up here on Inside Sources at KSL News Radio. Stay with us. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Okay, now there's a very important story that is going on in the state of Utah. And some might know this was a hot topic of conversation during the legislative session and so on. And remember some of the uh, follow up ramifications regarding us going from 3.2, which we were somewhat infamously or famously known for during the Olympics. Do you remember the 3.2 beer uh, buttons and uh, pins? I remember when we were working up and ramping toward when we kind of got to the fun part of the Olympics, you know, after some of the controversies were over and things looked like they were coming around. I was told, you know, these pins that everybody talks about and the collectibles that everybody talks about, that will be, I'll never forget this term because I laughed I laughed when they said this, that the pins and the collectibles, but the pins especially, will become the currency, that, that really, the currency of the Olympics. And I thought, what is wrong with these people? Are you kidding me? But it was true. It, it, was, it was amazing. There were great big pin, pin events that went on. We here at KSL sponsored many of them with the uh, Smith's Food and Drug Stores would be out there. People would have tents, various entities. People were going around trading pins. And one of the hottest pins out there was the 3.2 Beerstein pen. And uh, there was also the green gel pin, rather. And there was the green jello pin uh, and another pin that was really hot. Any of the broadcast pins uh, NBC's pin was very hot. KSL's pin at one time, our little microphone pin, it was going for like fifty to a hundred bucks. It was it was crazy. So we have uh, immortalized our three point two beer for some time. We have been mocked periodically for our three point two beer, 
And um, now we're going up to the quote-unquote heavier beers, and that will officially happen day after tomorrow. Remember, not long ago, we talked about some of the, the accommodation that was necessary for that. And outside of uh, traditional places where you could buy the heavier beers, if it was going to be in the convenience stores and if it was going to be in the grocery stores, well, then we had issues with its storage ahead of time and even its transportation. So remember, it took special dispensation, as it were, from the legislature for us to be able to know that our grocery stores and our convenience stores, yes, if they had a little bit of it stashed in the back room in order to anticipate it being available on November 1st, that was okay. And then we also had to make special accommodation for it to be transported also so nobody got fined or arrested or whatever it might be. So now here we are on the threshold of the heavier beers, but there is something that had not been considered. And as I was reading the article today, I uh, I kind of had to laugh because all of a sudden, day after tomorrow, when the 4.0 beer is available, what to do with the 3.2? Now, apparently, there is some concern, (laughs) and I'm not sure how legitimate this concern is, that there might be leftover 3.2 that nobody will buy. And, you know, with with certain things in the state of Utah, there, there are some protocols and hoops that we have to jump through and some things you can and cannot put on sale. I'm not really, I, I, I don't think there'd be a problem in kind of blowing it out. Can you have a blowout sale on 3.2? I'm not 100% uh, sure, but 3.2 beer going away, the heavier brews, 5% alcohol by volume, and uh, somebody, this is general distributing, they said that we've been working on this for 86 years, and so the fear is that there might be some 3.2 beer that nobody quite knows what to do with. Now, I have some friends that I think they would know very well what to do with it, but there is the concern that if it doesn't sell and it goes stale, that it will end up in the landfill. And I really got a kick out of the quote. I've known Stan Parrish for a long, long time. I consider him a really good friend. And Stan, who's on the uh, the, the Liquor Commission, said, well, If we take it to the landfill, think about this. What effect might it have on the seagulls? And, of course, he was saying it with tongue-in-cheek. But it's a serious thing because with the seagull being a protected bird in the state of Utah, after all, it is our state bird. Having drunken seagulls around would not be good PR for the beehive state. So I want to ask this question of you, and then I'll tell you a little bit about how Anheuser-Busch is celebrating this monumental day in the state of Utah. I want to know from you what to do. If indeed there is a stockpile of 3.2 that we don't quite know what to do with, what do we do with it? Where do we go with that beer? What should happen to it? All right. I want to hear from you. Uh, You can text us on the Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line at 57500. Maybe in the spirit of Stan Parrish's concerns about drunken seagulls at the landfill, uh, maybe you can follow up on that. Or maybe you have a serious idea. 
So anyway, with the beer going away that Utah has been so well known for for now so many years, to commemorate the event, Budweiser's famed Clydesdales are arriving in Salt Lake City and Park City for a 3.2 beer funeral. Uh huh. So, and, and what they're going to be at the Vivint Arena, is that right? Yeah, we're expecting them across the street. And remember, there has even been controversy over the years with the Clydesdales themselves. Now, this goes back quite a ways, but in the days of 47 Parade or the Pioneer Day Parade, uh, having the Budweiser Clydesdales, that was very, very controversial. Some of you might recall that. So, anyway, I want to hear from you. KSL Talk is our number at General Distributing's massive warehouse in Salt Lake City's northwest quadrant. The 3.2 beer is dwindling. There are rows and rows of pallets filled with 5% beer. And uh, extra staff has been brought in to make sure that on Friday, November 1st, the 5% beer is on the shelves. And as they have said at General Distributing, we've been waiting for this for 86 years. Huh. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to click on the new messages here and hold my breath. Uh, this, this person said, I had heard that they had to dump it out. Is this true? The 3.2 beer, that is. No, there is fear that they might have to, because when the 5% stuff is available, who will buy the old stuff at 3.2%? And as Stan Parrish kind of quipped, gosh, if we have to take that to the landfill, what about the seagulls? You know, the seagulls eat everything. And if it's sodden in in 3.2, can't you just see a bunch of drunken seagulls? Like I mentioned, that could be very bad PR for the great state of Utah. All right, I want to hear from you what to do with any 3.2 that is left over as we anticipate the 5.0. For some of us, this is a mood issue. It's kind of like, uh, whatever, who cares? And for other people, this is a big, big deal, as it obviously is according to Andy Zweber, who is the president of General Distributing. And I have to attribute this to our friends over at Fox 13. They interviewed him, and he's the one that said, we've been waiting for this for 86 years. I wonder if we're going to come up, if we get the Olympics in, uh, what, 2030 or whatever, I mean, will we? I mean, that kind of takes the fun out of the, the pin, doesn't it? I don't know. Uh, this person said, oh, Oh, listen to this. Oh, come on. This was a joke. This person said, sad that they're more concerned about drunk seagulls than they are about drunken drivers. Oh, heavens, this was a funny statement that was made by one guy who is absolutely, I know, Stan, there couldn't be anybody more concerned about drunk drivers than Stan Parrish. He was, it was a joke. Oh, my goodness. On that note, I'm going to go stand in the corner for a minute. All right, and hang my head in shame that we don't have a better sense of humor here in the state of Utah. Let's take a break. We'll be right back on Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Okay, we have a lot to accomplish here in the waning moments of Inside Sources today. I'm Doug Wright, filling in for the next, uh, gosh, I'm not exactly sure, but. This, too, as Grandma Moses said, shall pass. But I'm not quite sure when. But for the next several weeks, let's just put it that way. 
Uh, I want to talk about uh, Ben McAdams. We had a great interview with him just a little earlier. I want to talk about the teal pumpkins, which are also very important. And I honestly did not fully appreciate how important that is for a lot of kids. But I did want to have a little more fun with uh, the 3.2 beer, What in the World Do We Do? And the Clydesdales are not only in town here in Salt Lake City from Anheuser-Busch, but uh, Budweiser, but also from uh, they're going to be up in Park City to basically celebrate the funeral of the 3.2 beer here in the state of Utah. And uh, I I still am getting a kick out of Stan Parrish's uh, comments that if we were to have to throw this beer away and took it to the landfill, the plight of the poor seagulls that will eat anything out there, then what, I mean, we got to worry about the image of the state bird, right? So we've had uh, several responses, and this one is said, has said, hey, give the 3.2 to the local golf courses. It makes great snow mold removal after winter. I had no idea. Had no idea. This person said, hey, I'll buy it if they sell it for half price. This person said, hey, distill it, the 3.2, and make it heavier. And this one... <laughs> This person said, I, for one, think it would be fun to have the drunk seagulls maybe visit Burger Bar in Roy. I'm not quite sure what that means, but we'll just leave it at that. I want to talk about uh, our interview with uh, Ben McAdams, 4th Congressional District uh, here in the state of Utah. Uh, He happens to be my representative. And I asked Ben straight up, Tomorrow, will he or will he not? Will he be one of the outliers? Top Democrats are saying there might be a few defections in the party, and I asked Ben if he was going to be one. I am, I am planning to vote for this resolution, and let me tell you why. This is, this is, as you said, this is not a vote on whether or not to impeach the president. This is a vote that says, look, there are serious allegations. This is a serious time for our country. Uh, allegations have been raised uh, that the president has abused his power and may have harmed his na- our, our national security for his own personal gain and to help his reelection. Uh, we also talked with Congressman McAdams about the process itself. And with this vote tomorrow, really, what is accomplished? This resolution that we're going to be voting on tomorrow simply will formalize uh, that inquiry process. Right now, what you have are uh, is a lot of testimony uh, behind closed doors, uh, and, and they say there are reasons for that. I'm not on the Intelligence Committee, but there are reasons that implicate national security, why those, those meetings are happening. Um, but this would bring it out into the public, uh, for the public to see, for other members of Congress like myself to know exactly what the allegations are, what the testimony is, why, uh, why all this concern, and let, let us judge for ourselves. I don't, I don't want myself, and I don't think... Um, the public should have to make have to rely on uh, the representations and the spin of Democrats or Republicans. Let's see what the facts are, and then let's make a decision for ourselves. I thought it was interesting that uh, Representative McAdams also uh, pointed the the finger at the, not the finger, but pointed a finger at Democrats. Well, and I'm going to point the finger first at the Democratic Party. I'm a Democrat, but I think uh, you know Democrats have been calling for impeachment for. For too long. Uh, they're offended by the president. We should impeach him. They don't like this policy. We should impeach him. That is wrong. 
uh, if you don't like a president's policies, if you don't like his demeanor, uh, the, the solution to that is to vote against him. And so I think it's, it, it feels a little bit that the Democrats have been crying wolf for too long, and that's really disappointing. But now I think that the allegations that have been made are really serious. It was interesting uh, because I mentioned this yesterday when I talked with Congressman Stewart, also when I talked with Congressman Bishop, and today when I talked with Ben McAdams. Sometimes when your passions are running so so strong, either for the president or even uh, disappointment in the president, it's hard in this process sometimes to really say, "Okay, look, I I can be I can be really offended by this president." But does that mean that he's committed some offense that is impeachable? And for some of his ardent supporters, I think sometimes they're so blinded by the the Trump light that I I wonder if if there is a fairness going on. Gosh, I wonder, even though I like this guy, I wonder if he has pushed the envelope too far on a few things. And I don't think we have the answers yet. Uh, and boy, I, I took a beating on our text message board yesterday for saying I have yet, if, if I were to vote, I, I couldn't vote for impeachment right now. I don't have the information. I, I, I am not absolutely sure of what happened. I would have to hear a whole lot more testimony. I would have to see a lot more documentation. I would have to be convinced more than I am right now that there has been an impeachable offense. And, oh, my goodness, boy, did I take a beating for that, that I somehow am this big Trump sycophant, and why don't uh, why doesn't President Trump and myself just go back with the Russian dolls to Russia? I mean, this is the kind of environment we live in today, where rational, civil thought has just gone out the window. And we are so blinded by hatred for certain individuals and so blinded by our devotion to some individuals that sadly, I think we're abdicating our responsibility as Americans to rationally and reasonably and fairly determine whether or not something is valid or if it is invalid. So we're going to continue to keep a very, very close eye on all of this over the next several weeks, at least, on Inside Sources. And do we actually have a voicemail with a very creative way, if, if, and this is a big if, this isn't like this is something that the legislature is going to have to deal with and all of us are going to have to really, you know, put a lot of thought into it. If there, if there is 3.2 beer left over, what, what does this person think we should do with it? Doug, I offered, uh, I think I've come up with a great plan. I will give the low bid for the contract to dispose of it. Now, it may take me a while, one can at a time, (laughs) but I will dispose of it in the most uh, humane, uh, natural, and earth-friendly manner I can possibly imagine. You know, there is a great Utah. I think that we have all just heard rational, reasonable, even Utah-based patriotic thought (laughs) on that one. Okay, Uh, I wanted to quickly review. (laughs) That was great. Some of the things that uh, we need to be aware of. And when when I was a kid, when I was out trick-or-treating, or even when our kids were out trick-or-treating, so we're not talking the dark ages here, 
you know, I, I was never really concerned about what we had to, to give out or what our kids received. We didn't have any uh, allergies or anything, certainly that was life-threatening with our kids. We all had our our favorite treats, including me. I'd have to go through the bags just to make sure everything was okay. And somehow, mysteriously, a lot of kind of chocolatey, caramely, uh, kind of nutty things uh, seemed to disappear. But this is a big deal, and I don't think I fully realized how big a deal this was when we had our special guest on from the organization known as FAIR, the Food Allergy Research and Education Organization. And they want to make sure that our kids are safe. And when she gave the statistic, and I have to tell you, this kind of floored me. I had no idea. I mean, I've known kids with some fairly serious allergies in this day and age, uh, whether it's lactose or whether it's peanut allergies and so on. I mean, they don't even give you peanuts on airplanes anymore. When I flew last time, it was cookies or Cheez-Its. But, but I guess even, I don't know, are Cheez-Its gluten-free? I'm, I'm not quite sure. But the teal pumpkin campaign will be underway uh, this year. And I don't know if it's been around years before. I'm, I'm a newcomer to all of this enlightened thought. But if you see a teal pumpkin, either on the porch or in a child's hand, it means that either the home where the teal pumpkin is offers non-food items. And it was suggested, you know, fun things like spider rings and so on that, you know, we see in all of the dollar stores, all of our convenience stores and so on can be given to that child. And uh, you don't have to worry about whatever their allergy might be. There doesn't need to be an inquisition there on the uh, doorstep. You just see the teal pumpkin and you know that you give them this non-food Halloween treat. And then if, if, if the house has a teal pumpkin then on the porch, you know that they are prepared to deal with your child. But one in 13 was the statistic that the Food Allergy Research and Education Organization gave, not just that they have a little allergy, but that it's life-threatening. Can that possibly be right, one in 13? It's it's really quite amazing. And then I was asking, what are some of the reasons why? And they said kind of the hyper hygiene of today is uh, suspected. Uh, the fact that uh, more of us are living in cities and less rural areas, that uh, even expectant mothers and babies, there has been the advice to avoid the allergens, which she said is, is not correct. And then also there's something in our, I'll use the, the term that she used, in our guts, that has changed in the way we process food. So anyway, watch out for the teal pumpkin tomorrow as your little ones are out trick-or-treating or as you purvey food and goodies at your doorstep. Live breaking news now on the mobile app for KSL News. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.